Well, month of May is the mission month, and uh, we want to continue on this theme of missions. But I want to give you a thought by starting by saying that many people think that missions work are only chosen, and only some people are called for missions by an elite few called by God to do mission work. And many years ago, I read of a quote by the founder of a mission organization called OC. It's known as OC International now. And he says, every heart without Christ is a mission field. And every heart with Christ is a missionary. And David Kim, a Korean guy, he added this verse in by saying, every heart Without Christ, is a mission field, but every heart with Christ is a missionary by vocation. We are all called to be a missionary. We are all called by God to be a missionary. The difference is only where you are. And so this morning, passage as uh, Pastor uh, sorry, uh, Howard has already highlighted is about being salt and light. Jesus gave us a simple two descriptions to inform us, to tell us what our goal is like as a Christians. What is really our mission, our whole purpose as a believers? It is to be salt and light in this world. It is to be so. Whatever we are, whether we are. Uh, a home mom, whether we are plumber, whether we are engineer, whether we are doctor, whether we are dentist, whether we work in Safeway or Coast or pave the road, whatever we do, we are a missionary. We are a mission. That is our goal. That is why we exist as believers. And I want to begin by not just reading to you from this familiar text of Matthew chapter 5, 13 to 16, that you are sort of the earth and light of the world. But it's important to set this word said by Jesus in the context of the, the Beatitudes because it's flowed directly out of the Beatitudes. Jesus is saying once you are a believer, once you call yourself a Christian, once you gave your heart to Jesus, you surrender your life to Him, you live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, He is your master, He is your new boss, you are under new management, you will begin to transform. You cannot not change. And then He begins by saying, this is what characterizes a believer. This is what happens as you slowly evolve, as you grow in your Christian life, as you surrender your life to Him, you read your scripture, you pray, you, you yield your life to Him, you begin to change. You begin to see things differently. And this is what He begins. He said, this is what you're like. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, as I said before, we, we touched on this about two years ago, on makarios, meaning God pronouncing on us you bring a smile to me. You are blessed. You bring a smile to me. Heaven will applause when you possess this attitude. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who acknowledge that spiritually they are bankrupt. They can't make it on their own. And Jesus said, if you come in that manner, then yours is the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be 
comforted. Mourn over your sin. Sin is not just little action, behavior, and it's not just only attitude. It's our entire nature that when we are born, we are born to sin in that sense. Every parent who have children knows that, can testify to that. Kids, you don't have to teach them the wrong thing. They know how to do wrong things. It is inbuilt, inherited in us. And Scripture says it's because of Adam's sin, therefore subsequent generation born out of it, we are sinners. So when we mourn, you please God when you mourn over your sin because you will be comforted. And then you say, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The word meek means power under control. It's not those who have no backbone, you know, like a jellyfish. No. You please God when you have tremendous power within you, but you never abuse that power. It is always under control in the way you discharge. Because such kind of person, you will actually inherit the earth. And then Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you have this hunger and thirst after God, God will come and meet that hunger in your heart. And those are the four things that is internal. Something internal will happen to us when we surrender our life to Jesus. And then, once that happens, you flow outward. You say, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You become merciful. You will be merciful because you receive mercy from God, and therefore, directly, it will flow out of your life. You are merciful to those around you. And then, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. You please God. Pure is like, we, we, we describe something that is not contaminated. We say it is pure. Pure gold. It's not mixed with gold. You have this single-minded of purity focusing on God. And when you do that, you will see God. And then, it's the blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. You are peacemaker, not peace fakers, not peace breakers, but you are peacemakers. The word maker is a very active word. It implies active, like you make a cake. It's not passive. Peacemaker is not don't create any problem, just hide low, preserve. That is fake peace. Sometimes peace needs to do some action. Sometimes you create chaos in order to bring about true peace. Blessed are the peacemaker, for they will be called sons of God. Sons of God are not children of God. Children of God denote position. Sons of God denote character. Sons of God means when you are sons of God, you are partaking the character of God. You're reflecting who God is, who is the peacemaker. Just as we say, Jesus is sons of God and sons of man. He's partaking the character of God and partaking the character of a man. So that's the meaning of sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And then, finally, he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Please note that the reward will come if you are persecuted because of righteousness, not because you are nasty, not because you are a pain in the neck as a Christian, uh, that kind of persecution 
has no reward. It must be because of righteousness. Because you live your life like what the first few Beatitudes says. And as a result, the world dislike you, hate you. Jesus is saying, well, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, when people persecute you, when people falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Then he said, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then out of this context that Jesus is saying that you are a disciple, you are a Christian, you are a believer, you begin to grow, then your task, your mission, all Christians, not just for the elite few chosen to go to Niger or elsewhere, but you who have given your life to Jesus, then now you have a mission. Wherever you are, you are then the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And then he said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. There's no secret believers. Neither do people like a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and they will glorify your Father in heaven. I want to read uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Matthew chapter 13 to 16 in the message version. This is what Eugene Peterson paraphrased verses 13 to 16. He said, let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You have lost your usefulness and you will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it, he says. You are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We are going public about with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light barriers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you prompt people to open up with God. This 
generous Father in heaven. What a way to paraphrase a beautiful, simple passage of being salt and light. Just unpack it using saying God's colors, God's color. And so what did Jesus mean when he said that you are salt of the earth or light of the world? Two metaphors. In these short four verses, he gives us two metaphors as well as two warnings. The two metaphors is straightforward, salt and light. But the question then we need to explore a little bit more is what the salt means. What does light mean? Jesus chose these two metaphors, salt and light, is because of their unique qualities. Both carry enormous influence. Can you imagine without salt and without light? Both carries enormous influence. Both have immediate impact, if you take that away. Both are noticed instantly. And both are difficult to veil. You know, salt uh, is, was one of the most common commodities in the ancient world. Roman soldiers, they were paid in salt. And they would revolt if they didn't get their ration. In fact, our English word salary comes from a Latin word, isn't it? Salarium, which literally means salt money. And our expression that man is not worth his salt, salt is a reminder of the high value that salt had in biblical times. And what is salt used for? We all know that. Salt is a preservative. Salt is a fla fla adds flavor. Salt can act as an antiseptic if you have a wound. And in those days before you apply, you have ulcer in your mouth. Sometimes some people still use salt to rub the, the, the ulcer, isn't it? Which is rather painful. Now you can use gel and all that. Uh, or you got salt throat, you gargle with salt water. It is a preservative, it is a flavor, it, it adds flavor, it's antiseptic. It helps preserve. You rub before the days of refrigeration, and salt was used to rub into meat to keep it from prevent it from it retards the spoilage. It, 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 it keeps the meat longer. And in some way, believers act like that in the like a preservative in the world to preserve the moral values, moral virtues of our society. And it adds flavor. Christians should add flavor to life. Just like uh, uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Christianity brings spice and zest to life because you know your past has been forgiven. You know that you have a secure future. You know why you're living here in the present. You suppose of all people live with zest, live with purpose, live with spice in a sense. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer Everyone. It is antiseptic. It heals. It is supposed to heal people. In ancient times, newborn babies were rubbed in salt so that the cuts and infections of medically primitive birth methods could be healed. And while this sounds painful, the cleaning out of a wound with salt 
was very effective in fighting infection. And Christians have a responsibility of not only pointing out sin, but practically offering healing and help. And there's one more term that I think many of us are not aware of about salt in the Scripture. Did you know that the Bible used this word called covenant of salt? Have you read, came across before? Let me show you two verses, okay? In Numbers 18, it says this, Whatever is set aside from the holy offerings, the Israelite present to the Lord, I give to you and your sons and daughter as your perpetual share. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord for both you and your offspring. It is an eternal, everlasting covenant of salt. And then, in 2 Chronicles chapter 13, King Abijah, I think it's about the fourth or the fifth kings in the southern kingdom, mentioned just such a salt covenant. He says this, Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt? By a covenant uh, of salt. Salt in those days has been used to express promises and friendship between people. It was even considered by the Greeks to be divine. Today, in many Arab cultures, if two men partake of salt together, they are sworn to protect one another, even if they had previously been enemies. In some cultures, people throw salt over their shoulders when they make a promise. I mean, who knew sodium chloride was so important? And so, in the ancient world, ingesting salt was a way to make an agreement legally binding. So if two parties enter into an, an agreement, they would eat salt together in the presence of witnesses. And that act would bind their contract. And so when, when uh, in the Old Testament, it used the word covenant of salt, probably the biggest ideas in the use of salt is the word permanence. Covenant. Everlasting covenant. Eternal covenant. Permanence. God's relationship with us is so sure, so secure, so established by covenant that we never have to worry about it because you are secure. You know, when you are in security in a relationship, you live at peace. You live at peace when you are secure in a relationship. And so the word is permanence. We never have to worry about it because He has entered into a covenant of salt with us, so we can rest easy because we are secure. And so we become such covenant of salt people, in other words, we are on such good terms with God through Jesus Christ that we can say there's bread and salt between us. And that changes us. When you're secure in a relationship, it changes us. We enjoy the covenant blessings of relationships with God and are so secure in the permanence of His love for us in Jesus Christ that it begins to change us. It begins to transform us. It makes us flourish like the people that Jesus describes in verses 2 to 12 of the Beatitude. 
And then when we get into the world, when we go into the world, we go into the world, it changes our very way of being so that we add flavor to the world and we preserve the world. You know, Acts chapter 4 verse 13 has a very interesting verse. Uh, it says that the members of the council were amazed when they saw that Peter and, and John were so bold. They could see that they were just ordinary people with uh, no special training in Scripture, and yet they preach with authority. And this is their conclusion is as they evaluate why they behave this way. They say they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. That it is because of they have been with Jesus, therefore they are becoming so bold. They are so filled with wisdom. They are so courageous. And their evaluation is because they had been with Jesus. And so that's what it should look like. We are in covenant of salt with Jesus, with God, and we are secure in a relationship, and therefore it changes us. We become salt of the earth. We preserve the moral fiber. We add flavors to our world. We act as an antiseptic healing. All kinds of things that we can think of salt. We are the salt of the earth. The second metaphor is we are the light of the world. The second metaphor that Jesus used that to describe us being a Christian and disciple of Christ is being the light of the world. And of course, we know a light is meant to shine. It's meant to illuminate the darkness around us. Light dispels darkness. Light reveals. Light awakens. Light warns us as well of the impending danger if you don't have, don't have light. And when we are in the dark, the smallest amount of light can make a huge difference. Just as some of us at home, we have this little plug there that when you get up to go to the toilet, there's light. You can see. You don't have to walk in the complete pitch darkness in a sense. A little bit of light makes a world of difference. Just one candle when all are in the darkness, it makes a tremendous world of difference. So when Jesus says that we are light, it brings to mind what Isaiah said hundreds of years ago about the nations of Israel. Because the nations of Israel... When God chose Israel, it is supposed to be a light to the nations. They are supposed that God gives them law, God gives them prophets. The purpose is that so that as a nation, they will represent God on earth. And this is what God says to Isaiah in chapter Isaiah 42. I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. So your role, your purpose is to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and I will guard you. I will give you my people, Israel, as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide the nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison. You will release those who sit in the dark dungeons. So here, God was saying to the nation of Israel what their role was. And now Jesus repeat that here, capturing that every believer now, individually and collectively, we are to be a light to the world. Jesus calls us to the good life. He calls us to flourish. He calls us to be so happy in our relationship with Him 
that our entire lives are different. Now, don't get me wrong, we won't be perfect, but we, are di- we will be different. And that difference will be noticeable to everyone around us. And so we are salt of the earth, we are light of the world. So don't just be a normal employee. Show up every day working for God. Don't just work for your boss. It will make you such a good employee that maybe your boss wants 20 more just like you. You shine. You become salt of the earth. Shine. Don't just pick a date for those who are young ones. If you date, then treat your dates with such respect, with such purity that they will say, I have never dated anyone like you. Don't just be a neighbor. Go one step further. Know their names. Do something good for them. Bake them a cake or something. Let's live so richly in our relationship with Jesus that it changes the very way we live in the world in every area of our lives so that we can add flavor to our environment. If you are a boss, be a good boss. Don't abuse your employee. Treat them well. Treat them good. Let them go home and say, this is the best company I ever worked in before. You know, Christianity over the ages, there's a book written by Alvin Schmidt. It's called How Christianity Changed the World. Amazing book. It documents how Christianity has actually influenced and changed the entire world that we live in. And he methodically covered many areas. Eradicating the slavery, as the Christian faith spread after the fall of Rome, the practice of slavery, slavery dwindled. And centuries later, when slavery re-emerged, Christian advocates strongly oppose it, like the Mennonites, like the Quakers, like individuals like William Wilberforce, that we are familiar with, with the movie Amazing Grace. Opposing uh, killing infants, Abandoning infants was so common in Greco-Roman practice until Christians led reforms to outlaw it in the 4th century. Eliminating gladiatorial games, as we watched the movie by Russell Crowe, The Gladiator, the, this brutal sport which uses the death of slaves to entertain the masses was condemned by Christian activists. And the most beneficial institutions of our society find their roots in the influence of Jesus Christ. Early Christians founded the first hospitals, orphanages, feeding programs, combating the pervading view of the time that it would be better to just let the sick, the poor, and the orphan just die. Monastic libraries provided the inspiration for the first universities in the 12th and 13th century. So university was started by Christian influence. Look at Salvation Army, St. Vincent de Paul. You name it. World Vision. You name it. All has the influence of Christianity. Elevating women's status, women's rights. Although women have been mistreated in nearly every culture, Jesus treated women with profound respect. Early Christians routinely 
protected women and children from neglect and abuse. Promoting higher education, Europe's and North America's great universities, the Oxford, the Harvard, the Yale, the Princeton, were founded on Christian principles and trained pastors and missionaries, producing great works of literature and philosophy. Some of the most profound and beautiful written works have been authored by followers of Christ. J.R. Tolkien, Augustine, John Milton, Thomas Aquinas, Pascal, Soren Kierkegaard, to name just a few, how they influenced the world with their writing. Establishing modern science. Modern science is rooted in biblical worldview that assumes an orderly and predictable universe. Many early scientists were also devout believers. John Newton, Galileo, Copernicus, and many others. Composing brilliant music. Batch, Handel, Hayden, etc. Advocating human rights and concern for the poor. These themes were deeply woven into the biblical idea that each person made in the image of God has inherent dignity and worth. And he let one writer in conclusion says this, On the basis of the historical evidence, I am fully persuaded that had Jesus Christ never walked the dusty paths of ancient Palestine, suffered, died, and risen from the dead, and never assembled around him a small group of disciples who spread out into a pagan world, the West would not have attained its high level of civilization, giving it the many human benefits it enjoys today. Christian has always, throughout history, been salt and light of this world. And that is how we have lived over so many centuries. Two metaphors, salt and light. Let me very quickly mention two warnings that Jesus here gives to us. Two cautions, two warnings. And he says, here, but you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it make salty again? So the first warning I mean, we all know that salt actually don't, cannot lose their saltiness. But they can lose it maybe through contamination, mixed around. It lost its flavor, isn't it? If you just put one drop of salt among a pot of porridge, for example, it's not going to make any flavor in the sense. So the first warning is, don't get contaminated. Don't get so contaminated that your saltiness is insipid because of the impurities. Don't become the kind of Christ follower who is so contaminated, yet you are of no practical use in this world, Jesus said. That you almost blur out that you are a follower of Christ. It is the Christian distinctiveness that makes a difference in this world. So don't have to try to be like the world. I don't know why many churches are trying to be like the world. It is the distinctiveness that makes the difference. It is not like them that's going to make the difference. I understand about cultural contextualization. I understand all that. But how far do you want to go to, in order to be like them? That you almost lose your 
your, your credential as a believer. You know, in business, it is called marketing. In, in advertising, it is called positioning, strategy. In basketball or sports, it may call a strategy that is going to make a difference. But in Christian, it is called holiness. I mean, holiness is almost like a negative connotation, you know, like uh, those holy Joe or whatever we tend to think. But holy means you set apart. You're different. So it's different. It's stand out, distinctive about what believer is supposed to be. Set apart from the rest of the world. Pascal say the serene, silent beauty of a holy life is the most powerful influence in the world next to the might of the world. I think the spelling is wrong. It's not night, it's might. M-I-G-H-T. The serene, silent beauty of a holy life that set apart for God is the most powerful influence in the world next to the might of God. So the first warning is don't get contaminated. Don't be too much like the world. Secondly, the second warning is don't hide your light. Jesus went on to say, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and they will glorify your Father in heaven. Shine, be a light for Jesus. Let your light shine. And when you let your light shine, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Or St. Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Let me close with two thoughts. There's an author by the name of Robert Stevenson, a very famous author on the League of Charles Dickens. But he died very young in his 40s. Uh, in his, he was very poor health. And one night, when he was very sick, his nurse found him in his room with his nose pressed against the frosty pane of his bedroom window. Just like that, pressing against it. It was a cold night. And so the nurse said, Child, come on. Come away from there. You'll catch your death of cold if you continue to do that. But young Robert wouldn't budge. He sat there. Why he was there? Because he sat there, he was mesmerized as he watched an old lamb lighter in those days before, before electricity and light, old lamb lighter slowly worked his way through the black night, lighting each street lamb along his road. And so he was fascinated with this man walking around, just lighting up this street. And young Robert said to the nurse, See, look there. He pointed at the man, and he uses this phrase, he said, there's a man 
poking holes in the darkness. You see, he's poking holes. It was dark, but he's just poking holes in the darkness and brighten up the entire street. And I thought that's such a beautiful description of us believers. We are poking holes in the darkness and show light. And Jesus is calling us to be an audiovisual Christians. The Christian seasoning is something to be tasted. The Christian light is something to be seen. Secret disciples does not exist. I understand in some Muslim context you have to do that because of the life. I understand that. But in general, the secret discipleship does not exist. Either the secrecy will destroy the discipleship or the discipleship will destroy the secrecy. Our Christianity should be vibrant and visible. Salt in a salt shaker and light under a bushel basket makes no impact. Christian void of visible deeds of compassion influences no one. And that is why John Wesley said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Salt and light. I want to close off with, uh, by asking uh, Payment to play a clip for us. Uh, it's a beautiful song. It's written by Chris Rice. And the song is called Go, Light Your World. I hope this will inspire you.